Your graduate studies are not so much like a space mission, where there's one countdown, one launch, one destination, but more like a classical expedition into uncharted territory. In the scope of your life, and compared to a rocket launch, your grad studies are a forgiving endeavor, where you have ample opportunity to reassess and reorient along the way. This week, we'll be hearing from Dana Murchison, whose passion for writing and teaching has brought her from experimental science to a vibrant career in science outreach, and who is going to share with us how she steered her way from science at the bench to her current career. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to let you know that I've prepared for you a resource sheet to help you take a snapshot of your current situation and start defining your profile for the job market in your areas of interest. You can download it by visiting papaphd.com and following the instructions in the website footer. Welcome to the show. So today we're meeting Dana Murchison. Born and raised in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, Dana has had two lifelong passions, science and stories. After studies that brought her from creative writing to neuroscience, seasoned with a healthy dose of science outreach, she chose to write up her grad school work as a master's thesis and relocated to Northern Ontario to join the team at Science North, Canada's second largest science center. There, she developed hands-on exhibits and interactive science programming about the human body and initiated and led Science North's series of science cafe events, bringing experts and the public together for engaging discussion on a range of current science issues. In 2014-2015, she was selected to participate in the Northern Leadership Program, a year-long intensive leadership development course that accelerated her interest in leading people and developing vision and strategy for science communication. Since 2017, she has worked as head of programs at the Canadian Museum of Nature, where she is responsible for the strategy, vision, and implementation of live interactive natural history programming designed to educate and inspire the museum's school, public, and adult audiences. Dana lives in Ottawa with her husband, a fellow science museum geek. Anticipating their first child's arrival any day now, They've built up a serious collection of science board books already. Welcome to the podcast, Dana. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So uh, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you uh, tell a little bit more about yourself to the listeners now. Sure, absolutely. Um, what do you want to know? <laughs> well, m maybe uh, how, you know, what the path was from uh, creative writing what studies you followed and how you kind of gravitated to where, you know, to your, your grad studies. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, that's an interesting story. I, I definitely had a hard time coming out of high school trying to figure out whether I wanted to pursue creative writing and English literature or whether I wanted to go into the sciences. Um, I've always been really passionate about both. Um, and, uh, I had, you know, phenomenal, teachers in high school on both sides. Mm -hmm. And uh, ultimately, I think I decided that I was going to go into studying science and then, you know, keep reading and writing and um, engaging with, with that kind of part of my life on the side. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that I did that. I had a fun time doing it at McGill, um, studying human anatomy and cell biology for my undergrad. And then I did a minor in English lit. So I still got to, you know, kind of keep engaged with that side of my brain. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't let it uh, go totally. That's, that's really awesome. Actually. Uh, I, I find that the system of, of majors and minors really, really cool uh, in that sense that, that you can, you know, you, you, if you have a first love, you can still keep, keep it, although you're following something else in your, in your major. That's really awesome. 
Yeah, I remember uh, leaving an English literature class at one point in time and having to, you know, race up the hill to Strathcona Anatomy so that I could you know, <laughs> go work in the anatomy lab. It was a little bit of a weird juxtaposition sometimes. Yeah, it's, uh, traveling yeah. between two worlds, kind of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Excellent. So, uh, well, now that we uh, now that we know where where you come from and and how you you kind of kept these two interests well into your your grad school studies. Um, the question, the first question I'd like to ask you is, uh, how was it for you, you know, uh, uh, especially knowing that you then decided to write up your thesis and uh, to then go into science outreach, how did the end, you know, how was, how was finishing your master's for you? Was it, was it an easy process? Um, did you, was it easy to find the motivation to complete it? Uh, no, it was, it was really tricky. Um, by that point in time, I was, I was very motivated to wrap it up and write up my thesis. Uh, but the process of doing it, I found really, really challenging. Um, you know, I, uh, after I finished my undergrad, I, I went into grad school and, you know, started doing research because, you know, I was just so, so passionate about, you know, the development of the nervous system and wanted to know more about it. And, um, and I was, I was really excited to do that kind of work. And, um, partway through, I, I realized that it just was not for me in terms of the lifestyle and the day to day, um, that I wasn't really that well suited to bench research. Um, and, uh, you know, I was still, I was still fascinated by the subject matter, but, um, I, I realized that doing a PhD was just not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, about two years in realized that three more years of that kind of uncertainty and, um, and, you know, sometimes frustration, you know, of having experiments, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Yeah. That's, that's how it is. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's, um, you know, that's the way that, that science works, you know, it's kind of one experiment at a time and one little discovery at a time. And, um, I'm so grateful that there are people who do that kind of work, but I realized partway through that it was just not for me. Um, and that I was going to be really, um, really hard pressed to kind of get it all the way to the finish line. Um, and so it was, uh, I can actually remember, <clears throat> pardon me, the moment where I decided that I wasn't going to keep doing a PhD, but I was going to write up my master's. I was um, working at the Montreal Children's Library doing uh, science outreach after after school with kids in the community. And um, on that particular day, I had brought in um, some animators from, I think, from the Granby Zoo. And they were doing a live program with a bunch of kids about bats and kind of, you know, showing off some, some cool vampire bats. And these kids were just so excited and so engaged and asking such interesting questions. And, um, you know, and I'd had a really tough day at the bench and going there and just seeing, um, seeing the joy and the excitement and the enthusiasm. Uh, that was a moment where I was like, I wonder if I could let myself do this all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and it felt like I'd be getting away with something. It was your you know? aha moment. That was my aha moment for <laughs> sure. Um, it was like, could I actually just do this all the time? Could this be my job? Um, and then from that point on, it was like, okay, how do I pull this off? And it was really, really hard to kind of flip my mindset from, I'm dropping out of my PhD to I'm completing my master's. Yeah. You know, the feeling of failure was just so strong. Yeah. And letting people down around you, uh, you know, be it your uh, supervisor, et cetera, you know, that might expect you to, uh, to. Oh, absolutely. Go through, I guess. But, uh, but uh, I agree with you. It's a huge commitment. If, if you're in, at a, in that situation that you're doubting, that it's really something for you. So I think you, you your aha moment came at the right time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think it really did. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm really glad that I kind of pushed through and followed that instinct um, and just realized that it, 
it was not going to work out and there was a better way for me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, there was a lot of self doubt, like in the process of writing out my thesis, you know, not about whether I was doing the right thing, but about, you know, whether I would actually be able to pull it off. Like, would I be able to, would I be able to walk out with my degree or was I going to need to kind of walk out with nothing to show for it? Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was really hard to kind of reset my mindset and, and realize that it, it wasn't necessarily a failure. It was like moving forward in a different way. Definitely. And, and, uh, from, we'll talk and we'll, we'll hear more about you, but you know, and it was a success after all, right? <laughs> in terms of your, of your path that followed. So just thinking about, about the listeners, uh, the feeling I get from what you're saying is, because you can, you know, you can start a master's and then just go through the motions and say, well, the next logical step is going through to the PhD. I feel that somehow what you're saying is that the transition between master's and PhD can be uh, kind of a checkpoint, like in biology, right? Like, uh, like in uh, mitosis, you know, <laughs> or <laughs> your checkpoint to, okay, th at this point, I can evaluate whether I want to go on or whether I can close this chapter and, and, you know, go do something else that I love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I had always assumed like ever since I started studying science, I had assumed that I was going to get a PhD and that I was going to do my postdoc and I was going to run my own research program. Um, so there was no question in my mind personally about it. Like I, I had amazing mentors, um, kind of the, the different labs that I worked in. Um, and those people really, you know, uh, really emphasized for me how valuable that basic research was. Um, and so, you know, so for me, there was no question in my mind. I, I never thought about kind of doing a master's and then doing a PhD. It was like, yep, yeah, I'm just starting my studies and I'm going to write them up and that's going to be my doctorate, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I hadn't considered that as being a checkpoint that existed. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of glad that I'm glad that I wound up kind of having that moment of clarity as it were, you know, about two years into the process. Yeah. And I, I love that you said uh, something that I also identify with, which is gratitude and actually admiration for people who do, you know, go through and that, that do research every day to, you know, learn about diseases, to just learn about the human body uh, and, and that every day they have a lifestyle that's pretty hard and that, uh, that's very, uh, you know, uh, can be very fulfilling, but that, like you said also that you know just by design has a lot of frustration you know because uh, for one positive experiment you know how many did you have that that did not work oh absolutely absolutely and i mean and not just the experiments you know the um the challenges of kind of running your own lab running your own research program and needing to constantly be hustling for funding and um, you know, recruiting students, uh, you know, working for those publications continuously, it's, you know, and, and keeping, keeping that laser focus, you know, I know it's so important that people do that, but I think one of the things that I realized going through my master's was that, um, I am a generalist. I am, I love learning about kind of the, the breadth of scientific disciplines and being able to kind of learn a little bit about a lot and communicate that out to the public. Like, um, you know, I was, I was fascinated by the process of, of nervous system development. And yet my project was, you know, that's the way science works. It was so narrow in scope. You know, I was looking at the interaction of two different proteins um, at a very specific moment in time in a very specific model and um i just i wanted to be able to have a a broader focus you know some people it really works for them to do that for me it really didn't mm -hmm. yeah no uh, again everyone has a different you know a different uh type of personality uh and uh you know i think society needs different types of people in different types of positions and uh it's uh, like you like you said it was not a, a failure. The switch that you did was just, again, there was a checkpoint. You felt in yourself, and tell me if I'm understanding it 
uh, right, you felt in yourself, okay, this path doesn't feel like it's something that I will thrive and be happy in. And luckily, you actually found your calling at the same time with, with outreach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was something that I did kind of throughout my studies. Um, you know, when I was doing my undergrad, I did a lot of uh, work in volunteerism with the Red Path Museum at McGill. Okay. Um, and then after, uh, after I graduated from my undergrad, I started, uh, well, I continued to volunteer at the Red Path Museum, and I also worked with the Montreal Children's Library. Um, and I did a ton of other kind of science outreach volunteerism, like with um, Brain Awareness Week and, uh, you know, a, a bunch of other kind of small organizations, festivals, stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, those were always the bright points in my week, you know, mm -hmm. when I got to just, you know, geek out with kids about like why leaves change color or, you know, why Pluto's not a planet anymore or, you know, um, things that were just so, so far removed from my, you know, immediate field of research. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. I guess with children, the response you get sometimes even can be surprising and, and refreshing in a way. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. It's that sense of like wonder and delight and, and discovery, you know, um, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the science outreach work that I've done or kind of science communication work that I've done, especially since that time has been not just for kids, but for, for adults as well. Yeah. Right. And, you know, that's, that's so important too. like, people need to be aware of how science works in their everyday lives to, to make good decisions. Um, and just to keep learning and growing. Right. Um, but definitely at that time, a lot of the work that I did was, was with kids and it, it was really um, very like nourishing and sustaining for me. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So, so, and yeah, the calling was, you know, you, you knew what your calling was <laughs> at that, at that time, like you, cause you really felt the positive effect even on your, uh, on your energy. I mean, your, um, your excitement and uh, no, that's very cool. I, I, I feel that now I have a really good feeling of how you came to do what you're doing today. Uh, and uh, clearly you, you were able to find, you know, to find these avenues and to find these organizations where you could fulfill, you know, this, this kind of vocation that, uh, that you had to share and to, to uh, explain and to, uh, um, you know, simplify things and um, concepts that often are, may seem complicated or actually can be complicated to people, maybe children or not, that are not sciencey, let's say. Now, I wonder though, it feels like you really, you know, you saw a, a light at the end of the tunnel and, and, and then this window opened and you're like, okay, this is what I want to do. But I feel also that, you know, you had that anxiety part of, okay, I'm actually, I'm not g going through with the PhD, postdoc, etc. How did you deal with this anxiety, maybe some, some fear that you may have felt at that, at that point? What, what helped? what helped you push through uh, in terms of, of uh, um, maybe uh, your personality or, or an attitude that, that helped you at that moment? Um, what helped me at that moment? Or even people around you, like, did, mm. was it easy to, to go, you know, to go back to your entourage and say, you know, you know what, uh, I found my calling and it's not, what I thought, you know, what I've been telling everyone for the last few years. Um, did you feel that there was some pushback or, or did, you know, was it easy to, to uh, actually commit to your new choice? Yeah, I, I found the, um, the reaction that I got from the people around me was pretty mixed. You know, at that point in my life, a lot of my closest friends were, also doing graduate studies and also in neuroscience. So, okay. you know, in, in some cases, um, you know, in some cases, I think it was tough to have those conversations with people because, you know, um, cause I didn't want to be invalidating their choices, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and I think, you know, some people were able to be really supportive and I think some people found it hard, right? Because, they were struggling too and and they chose to push through instead so you know and and for for a lot of the people that i know it absolutely was the right choice i know for me it really wasn't so i think the the thing that made it um 
easier for me was to recognize that this was this was really about kind of whether or not it was a good fit for me personally, as opposed to kind of, you know, whether, whether it's a worthwhile way to spend your life or, you know, dedicate yourself, um, you know, kind of really putting the focus on, you know, what was right for me um, made it a lot easier. And, and I was fortunate that, you know, I had, I had some, some good support, um, you know, even on my committee, uh, from people who kind of recognized that it was it was the right time for me to kind of try something different. Um, yeah, yeah, but I definitely uh, I I will not say that the process of kind of wrapping it up and getting out was uh, was an easy one, and it definitely wasn't kind of the um, the best headspace I've ever been in in my life. <laughs> I'm really well, glad I don't need to go back there again. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you know, if if uh, the image that comes to my mind is, uh, you know, if you're uh, either uh, on a, on a big ship or let's say on an on an airplane and you want to turn it around 180, you know, it's going to take you know the two pilots are going to be super like stressed and they have a lot of buttons to push and a lot of it's not it doesn't happen like that right so for sure the same thing if you set up your life to do something which you know is going to be hard and 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 long and and uh it's going to be challenging and then you say wait uh, i'm actually exiting this this path because first i feel that i'm i'm not going to to thrive in in what's in what comes after plus i have found something that i know i'm going to thrive in well taking the decision i imagine was probably easy but then stopping the machines and and like putting on the brakes and and saying okay now i'm going to write up i'm sure it's even psychologically must you, it must be something that's a, a little bit heavy but again i think because you uh, i feel that because you really knew that that what you were you know exchanging the path that was traced for was something you really loved it must have helped a lot yeah it really did and actually um i think something that you said kind of cued a little something for me it the thing that helped was feeling as though it wasn't necessarily a 180 you know that that i was kind of like deflecting a little bit from where i thought i was going to go but that all wasn't lost and it wasn't as though it wasn't as though I didn't have anything that I could leverage. Um, and actually that was, uh, I feel really, really fortunate um, that I wound up at Science North um, because it really allowed me to, to leverage the strengths that I had gained in grad school and, and to feel as though they were actually an asset to me in that career. Like, you know, basically my approach um, when I was writing up my, my master's was to say, okay, I want to work full time in uh, science communication, science outreach, you know, at a museum or a science center or some kind of cultural organization that does this stuff. And I was ready to leave Montreal and try something new. And I literally applied anywhere in Canada that had a job that looked cool. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the place that gives me the coolest offer first. And I'm just going to try it. Um, and I got, uh, I got two really good offers right around the same time. And Science North was the one that I wound up going with for a few reasons. Um, and I do not think I could have lucked out more when it comes to kind of leveraging the skill set that I already had. Um, because I mean, a lot of the time, if you work in, you know, exhibit or program development, if you work in museums, you know, it, it requires a background in, in kind of museum studies or exhibit design or, um, you know, visitor yeah, studies, yeah. you know, some of those things. And Science North is really unique in the sense that they really hire for um, people who have the scientific mindset and the scientific background and knowledge. Um, and they train a lot of the other kinds of skills. Excellent. That's awesome. That's really awesome. So it was a really good way of kind of, you know, um, getting to where I wanted to go with what I had. So it didn't feel like I was kind of throwing everything away and, and backtracking 180. You that's know? pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that, that, you know, that segues very well into my next question, which is about transferable skills. So clearly you're what, from what you're telling me, uh, the, 
whatever you learned up until your master's uh, served you in your new career and is probably still serving you today. Um, um, so can you share with the listeners what, what skills that you acquired uh, at university and at grad school that you'd say have been your greatest assets in reorienting your career and which ones have been valued the most by your employers or, or by your peers? Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess I would start by saying that I haven't, I haven't done anything in my career that I couldn't have done without a master's degree. Um, but at the same time, I think it's been, it's been really beneficial uh, in terms of kind of opening doors or helping people to kind of see me with a certain degree of credibility, okay. um, which is interesting, right? I mean, within, within the science world, uh, you know, I'm not sure it would have the same kind of weight, but, you know, in the world that I moved into, um, having, having done that kind of bench research and, uh, you know, presented at conferences and, and, you know, lived in that way, um, you know, has been really helpful. So I think, the biggest benefit really has just been, um, you know, I work with a lot of researchers in the work that I do because so much of science communication is about, you know, identifying these great stories that are coming out of people's primary research and then finding ways to communicate them to the public, mm -hmm. right? It's, we act as a bridge a lot of the time. Um, and so, you know, in the work that I do at the Canadian Museum of Nature, um, where I, I work with our own, you know, researchers and, and experts, uh, as well as external ones, and also at Science North, like, I think having that kind of, that credibility and being able to move fluidly in a world with researchers has been really helpful for kind of like building relationships and letting people trust me, you okay. know, that I, yeah, yeah. that I know what I'm talking about and that I'm not going to kind of, you know, butcher the work that they do. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's interesting. And, uh, probably also you have, you know, there's a kind of a language, a common language that you already have with these people. Uh, if they're talking about research, you probably can picture in your head very well, you know, what, what it looks like in the lab. And uh, I don't know exactly what research we're talking about, but the fact that, you know, that, that you have been on the bench for them, there's a commonality there. There's a, you know, there's, there's, they feel probably close, closer to you or they feel, Oh, she knows what, you know, she knows what I go through. She knows what, what I'm talking about. I meant exactly right. They, people know that I understand the constraints and the pressures and, um, and I know, I know how exciting it is when they publish and, you know, I know not to ask them when they're going to be done their PhD. Um, <laughs> you know, some of some of those kind of just soft skills about working with people in that field has been really beneficial. Um, yeah, I will say um, I was so surprised when I moved out of academia about how many how many skills that I had acquired there had no relevance whatsoever in the world that I was moving into. Um, you know, I remember being in my interview for my job at Science North and um, one of the questions was about my science background. And, you know, I, I went through kind of all of the different research projects that I had worked on and, mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of the different techniques that I was skilled in, uh, like molecular biology techniques. And I remember um, the interview panel's eyes kind of glazing over and, um, the person who wound up being my boss saying like, yeah, we don't do that here. So <laughs> is that going to bother you? Are you going to miss that? And, uh, and I realized like, oh, wow, like I've got to convince these people that, you know, pipetting is not my life, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that there are other things that I can do, you know? I did it. Um, I did it a lot, but you know, I'm, I'm ready to turn the page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, there were, a, there were a couple of things like that, that were really surprising to me. Like literally nobody has ever asked me one time about my publication record since I finished my degree, uh, which is good because I pretty much don't have one. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, in that, in that milieu, it becomes irrelevant, I guess. That's it. That's it. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's been interesting to, to see how many of the kind of um, markers of, of success within academia, um, you know, 
haven't really transferred over to, to where I am right now. It's really been a lot of the soft skills, like the rigor with which I kind of am willing to approach things and, um, yeah, you know, being, being like really, uh, insistent on kind of, you know, chasing down the evidence, like some of those kinds of things, but but yeah, a lot of it hasn't really transferred. No, but I think those soft those soft skills, and it's come up in other interviews. I think it, it ends up being actually the the, the biggest uh, like um, uh, heritage, I want to say, or um, what's another word for it? Um, like a, a legacy. Yeah, or, I know what you mean. Legacy, exactly. That, that you bring from grad school is being able to. Uh, to work on projects that have, have quite of a large scope without fear of, of the, of the scope. Okay. This project, it's a six month project. No worries. I, I can work on six month projects and, uh, and keep focus and be a, uh, you know, a resilience, uh, capacity to research on, on things that you have never, you know, uh, researched and, and uh, that you don't know anything about. Uh, so soft skills, uh, it's funny cause I imagine that a lot of the listeners may, not have thought about these uh, because they're they're probably you know uh, head long into their research and to, into the nitty gritty of their very focused research and mm-hmm. they think that they or they may consider only the skills that they use every day in the lab or or wherever in whatever research uh, domain they work they work in but the the soft skills I think are one of the most important things that that you keep from uh, from doing something as like a master's or a phd and uh, and um then and it's important important to to be conscious of that when when you're finishing or when you've just finished you have a lot you have accrued a lot of uh, capacities that you didn't have before grad school just by the fact of going through and 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 you know overcoming the obstacles and reaching your goals and finishing i uh, mm-hmm. it's they're very very important and uh, and it's come up in in most of, of the interviews that that um, there's always something that even if you're even f- quite far away from the bench like you were saying that people still use today and that comes from from those studies you know what actually um hearing you say that sort of reminded me of a couple of things that i think have been really beneficial um one is like being able to uh kind of quickly get the lay of the land of a new area of research, kind of, you know, knowing what sources to go after and, you know, being able to kind of really quickly pull out different perspectives on the issue and who the, who the key players are and what the salient points are. Like, I think that's, that's made me a much better science communicator because, you know, of course I need to communicate about topics all the time that, you know, I, I am not an expert in. Yeah. Right. So kind of being able to do that, that, you know, kind of review type research quickly and effectively has been really helpful. And also um, figuring out like who to talk to when I'm stuck on something, <laughs> like being resourceful and having good contacts and kind of knowing how to how to reach out and, and get help. Those two things have been really helpful. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, um, I agree. And I, I would say for me, I think that's Almost, I would say that, that that one that you mentioned is the most important one. Being able to, on a short on short notice, do research on something you haven't looked at before in your life, being able to digest it, and to be, become kind of a almost a, a specialist, uh, like an uh, an on the fly specialist about it. Excellent. And I have, just out of curiosity, uh, do you in your current position do any uh, oral presentations? Or are you more in the background setting up, uh, setting up uh, uh, different programs? And uh... um, well, I mean, the in the work that I do right now. So um, I lead the programming team at the Canadian Museum of Nature. Um, so at this point in time, well, a lot more of what I'm doing is kind of setting vision and strategy for for a team of people who who do a lot more kind of direct interaction with the public. Um, but definitely, you know, it does happen. Um, and certainly in my position at Science North, I was engaging with the public kind of all the time. Um, I did a lot of, when I was running the Science Cafe series, I, I did a lot of um, like facilitating panels and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, working, kind of mediating between um, 
between experts and the general public and yeah, that was that was one of my favorite parts of my job. Mm, cool. Well, because uh, from my experience in grad school, I gained a lot of experience speaking in public in grad school because of all the presentations we had to do of of, the, of our ongoing work. So mm. that's why I was wondering whether that that might be something that you also may have uh, have gotten from from that. But you also had so much experience with with different outreach organizations that you probably honed your your public speaking abilities through all these different uh, avenues. Yeah, that's true. Although actually, um, you know, one thing that I, that I kind of forgot that I gained from doing a lot of presentations of my, you know, results as I was going through was um, being, being very succinct and very rigorous about kind of presenting my results and building a case, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of only including on your slides, pieces of information that you're going to speak to and that are relevant and that are kind of, you know, supporting the argument that you're trying to make. Um, yeah, a big part of the work that I do right now is about kind of, um, you know, presenting, uh, presenting pitches and proposals for new programming initiatives, things like that to some of our senior committees at the museum. And a lot of it is the same, right? It's about kind of clearly articulating an argument and presenting all of the supporting information mm -hmm. and thinking ahead and of questions that might come back when totally. you, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Totally. That's yeah. again, another very good one. Yeah. This is good. You're <laughs> making me increasingly grateful to my grad work. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, if, if I've done only that, I, it's great. I'm super happy. <laughs> uh -huh. Awesome. Well, you know, I think we've covered a bunch of uh, other questions that I could have asked. Um, Maybe um, I feel that that one of the uh, the things that you clearly did very well during during your studies and especially grad studies is that you had interests mainly uh, uh, teaching science to to either children or you know people who who uh, who are not uh, uh, sciency or or scientists. Uh, and I feel that, uh, from what you said, you you actually had a, a very full schedule even during your studies, doing this on on the side, you know, extracurricularly. So, because uh, uh, the question I was going to ask was uh, if you have any advice on how to make the most of your time at university, leading to your non-academic career. And what I get from from your path is that well, find something you love and and try to fit it into your schedule as, as much as possible. Yeah, certainly. Um, I didn't do a lot of TAing when I was um, doing my undergrad or my grad studies. Uh, I kind of, I spent a lot of that time, you know, working and volunteering with some of these outreach organizations. And for me, that was a lot more fulfilling. Um, I don't know. One of, one of the things that I wish that I had done in grad school and in my undergrad was, especially in grad school, was to develop better work-life balance habits. Um, I think that's really hard. It's really hard to do when you're working at the bench, right? Like sometimes you have timed experiments and, and you know, I, I don't think we really, um, certainly I, I didn't feel as though kind of resting and regenerating and kind of having a bunch of other interests and hobbies was um, was as valuable as kind of putting in the hours at the bench at that time. Um, but I, I really like since, since kind of wrapping that up and moving into kind of a more traditional um, like work environment, I found that I can bring so much more of myself, you know, back to the table when I actually do take that time to rest um, and so, so yeah, I mean, definitely like having those hobbies and having something to kind of distract yourself and, and to work on that's different is, is healthy. But I think, um, I would, I would advise people who are in the position that I was in to, you know, actually take the time to detach your brain sometimes. That's, that's very good advice. And, and I think that it's very easy when you're, you know, on a project that's, uh, it's, time sensitive there's pressure from that there may be pressure you know, to publish or to to uh, do experiments fast or uh, th there can be so many reasons why it's it blows out of proportion in your mind and you stop you stop seeing other things in your life 
Uh, and I, I think it's a very important point you make. It's very, it's, it's, it's a necessity to always have in your schedule some, some time off. And uh, I'm saying this and I, I went through the same thing that you're describing of not doing it. And, uh, okay, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stay later. I'm going to come on Saturday, Sunday, because, yeah. uh, it's, it's an easy, it's an easy trap to fall into, but, uh, if possible, uh, if at all possible, definitely take, take me time. I remember, uh, the day that I submitted my thesis, mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my goodness, like this is incredible. I've got so much freedom. What do I want to do now? And I like I didn't know. I had no idea. I wound up like doing my laundry. I think I had a little cry, just <laughs> you know, just getting it out of my system. And I think I went to bed at like 9:30 or something. Like I just I didn't know what to do with myself yeah. because you know, when you've always got it on your mind in the background. Yeah. You get into this routine, right? It's like that's it. Just follow the motions, and then you you don't gain these habits. So then the day that that you cl you close that door, I <laughs> it's like okay, what am I what am I going to do with all these hours now? <laughs> no, exactly. It was very weird, and definitely, um, I remember it being very weird too when uh, you know science outreach had always been my hobby and something that I did on the side. And I remember when, when I finally was like, okay, I, I love this and I can make a career of this. Um, then all of a sudden my, my hobby became my job. So then I didn't have any hobbies. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. So, so that was a little tricky too, was kind of figuring out like, oh yeah, okay, well, what else do I like to do? Um, and so, so I, I hope you found some, some hobbies. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have, I have diversified my interests. Excellent. So absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. So, well, now I'm going to transition to a, another part of the, of the the interview that has to do more with actually what you're talking about, which is taking care of, of yourself, but also promoting yourself. Because, uh, you know, you said that you, you sent uh, applications to a bunch of different uh, different entities uh, or different organizations where you they, the, there were jobs that could interest you. Um, did you... Uh, did you have resources, you know, during grad school that helped you learn how to, you know, put yourself on the job market and, and promote yourself, promote your CV uh, with, with employers? Or did you have to, you know, to, to go at it yourself with your own, uh, your own resources? Um, I mean, I think I took advantage of, you know, friends and, and mentors to, you know, look through my CVs and look at things. Um, but definitely when I look back at some of the CVs that I was using back then to promote myself, it's like, yeah, these are, these are targeted for academia. These are not targeted for the job world, you know? So sometimes I'm surprised that I kind of was able to make that transition. Um, I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think I had kind of started to build up like a, a science communication related kind of Twitter, like, you know, like a social media kind of presence um, at that point in time, which I am no longer very diligent about maintaining. Um, but, uh, but I, I mean, I think, I think those are, those are all really beneficial things to do. I'm not sure how much they actually helped in making the transition. Well, I, I was going to talk about mentors right, right, right after, but you touched upon something very interesting that I, uh, you know, I hadn't crossed my mind yet and it is uh, online presence. So promoting yourself by maybe blogging about something that interests you, uh, showing that, that you have other abilities and interests than your, you know, whatever, you're working on uh, as your project definitely that that's super interesting and super pertinent today because today it's all about uh, it's all about linkedin uh twitter or you know even in facebook now has can you can have uh, professional facebook pages etc so uh, and and even blogging i think now there's so many different platforms but uh for sure if someone has some some well likes to write and um, and has um, a different uh, interest or hobby that they that they want to that they want to share about or just talk about science could be you know talk talk about science on a blog definitely could could be something that helps 
because you put it on your CV, people people are going to see what you write and or what you share, and for sure are going to get a better idea of who you are as a candidate. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like you know, LinkedIn or, or Twitter, you know, they're great opportunities to kind of just be present in some of the conversations that are happening in the field that you're moving into. Um, yeah, and I think. I think having, um, you know, it sounds so, sounds so fake, but, you know, having like a kind of personal brand is really helpful, you know, yeah. being like, you know, I'm, um, you know, I'm somebody who uh, comes to you with this kind of, you know, very rigorous scientific background. And yet I am also able to kind of move in these other spaces, you know, I think that was, that was helpful. Very cool. Very cool uh, insight. And uh, about the mentors. So you mentioned already a couple of times that you had mentors that helped you along the way uh, in, in your journey, let's say. Um, you know, how did these people help you? Uh, and uh, what was, or, or let me put it another way, um, how pressures you would would you say that the presence of mentors at different steps in in your life and in your career uh how precious was it to have these people around you at these times oh my goodness um well like i can i can think of some key moments and key conversations without which i just absolutely would not have gone down the path that i have gone down mm. um Absolutely. Um, I did uh, my very first uh, summer of kind of, you know, research work um, at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario, which is here in, in Ottawa. Uh, and I was working at the Apoptosis Research Center with um, Dr. Bob Kornilak. And uh, he was the person who, you know, really convinced me that um, I didn't want to go to med school and, you know, that pursuing a career in, in basic research was uh, something that was just incredibly valuable for kind of having an impact on so many more people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I worked with uh, um, Ingrid Berker, who uh, coordinates the outreach program at the Red Path Museum. And she gave me my first shot when it came to doing science outreach. Like, you know, I spoke, um, pretty rough French at that point. Um, but you know, I was bilingual and that's what she needed. And she gave me a shot and, you know, mentored me and connected me with all kinds of amazing people in the field that I work in all the way through. Um, and without that, I, I don't know that I ever would have, you know, wound up in that field. Um, You know, and, and again, as I said, I had some really key mentors on my committee who like helped me, helped me realize that like, you know, it was okay and I could, I could do it. I could write out my stuff as a master's and it would, it would be totally okay. So yeah, I mean, um, I think it's, I think it's really critical. Like I, I didn't really know what I was going to get up to mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and some of those people like were right there at kind of key decision points for me, I guess. And uh, could you like distill one or two main lessons that I, I, I feel like you have a bunch of people that, that have had key roles. You've even said that uh, some of them helped you tailor maybe your CV towards the, the career that you were looking for, but um, one or two lessons from your mentors that, that stick with you still today or principles, you know, something, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm having having a hard time, kind of like, you know. It's not because I feel that you have you've had so many that you can't really. That's it. Jumble it up into one, but okay, you know what? That that that's okay. But I, what I what I find very cool is clearly, you found you crossed paths with people who really helped you and who really you know took an interest in you. Probably because you also showed interest in whatever they they you know that you were working on at the time with them, but um. It's uh, it's it's cool for me to hear that you you know these people were kind of able to first uh, steer you towards the the right thing for you, but also give you new tools for for you know new adventures. Let's say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, I would definitely say that's the case. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, one other thing that I'm kind of thinking about is that in um, when I worked at Science North, as I as you mentioned earlier, I was part of this uh, Northern Leadership Program, and that was that was really about kind of um, you know developing yeah developing skills for you know leading groups of people and leading strategies and stuff like that. And I uh, part of that program was a formal mentorship component. Mm -hmm. Uh, but also, you know, a lot of it was about kind of, um, identifying your own kind of leadership style and, and being authentic and kind of playing to those strengths. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my mentor in the program, um, Dr. Céline Lachigard, um, and, and just the program in general, like was really instrumental in kind of helping me realize that like there are, there are lots of ways to contribute and there's lots of ways to be a leader. There's lots of ways to be successful, you know, and it, um, it, and that it's really about kind of finding the ones that really kind of resonate for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it put a lot of pressure on myself when I was in grad school to, um, to achieve according to what success looks like in that milieu. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's just one way to make a contribution, mm -hmm. you know? And for, for someone who may feel alone, uh, let's say right now, um, it's maybe a tricky question to answer because you cross paths with people and sometimes, you know, there's something clicks and, and, and a mentorship, you know, arises, I imagine. But did, how did you go about finding these mentors or was it, you know, was there an attitude that you had that somehow facilitated the, the, the creation of this relationship? Um, I don't think I can take credit for it, to be honest. Like, I think, I think I got lucky a lot of times and, um, so it happened organically. You were there and I got kind of adopted. Yeah. You were adopted. Okay. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's yeah. Fine. <laughs> if, um, which is great. Yeah. But I mean, you know, um, I, you know, I would say being open to those kinds of relationships and valuing them is really key for maintaining them. Uh, in the NLP, the Northern Leadership Program, they introduced us to this concept of having like a personal board of directors, okay. you know, kind of like people, people in your life that you can reach out to, you know, when you're wondering whether you should go one way or go another or, you know, to get guidance or advice or whatever. And so, yeah, I just, I think there's a lot of value in having people from a bunch of different displins who, you know, I really, really are like invested that. in you to some extent. Yeah, it's I really, really like nice. that concept, having a board of directors uh, in your life. Hmm, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to, uh, to explore that and look into it for sure. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you know, a lot of those folks, it's not as though I'm, I'm in touch with them kind of on a, on a monthly or even a yearly basis sometimes, but you know, but I, I know I can reach out if, um, if I have questions or, you know, if I need guidance or whatever. Yeah. No, uh, awesome. I, I will definitely look in, into, maybe I'll talk with you uh, about this a little bit because it's something that I, you know, I feel that I would have liked to have. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would also gain a lot by having at least one or, you know, or two people in their, in their lives that could play this role. Mm. But uh, this is why I'm during my interviews trying to feel how people have lived this mentor-mentee relationship, or if they have, because some people have, some people haven't. Uh, but it's it's uh, some. What I get is people who have. You know, it's been very positive for them. Mm. That, that's what that's what I'm getting up till now. Yeah. No, in the Northern Leadership Program, it was, it was very formal. You know, there was a formal process for kind of reaching out and, and getting paired with somebody. Um, but one of the things that they also told us was that, you know, you can just ask, like you can literally just ask somebody like, you've got an incredible skill set, or you've had a really interesting career trajectory, you know, can I take you to lunch? Um, would you, would you be my mentor? Can I, can I bounce some things off you? And, you know, people are often like really flattered and, and really want to be able to give back. Right. That's, that's, yeah, uh, it's very, very good input. Something like look for someone in the domain you work or in something that interests you, who you admire and approach them 
candidly and ask, could I have a coffee with you? I'd like to talk uh, about this and that, and uh, I'd like I'd like to have you as as my mentor. It, it may seem bold, but I I really think that uh, it's it's probably the way to go. Yeah, I mean, people people don't always get recognized for the contributions that they have or the potential contributions that they would have, right? So, you know, um, I think I mean, if somebody asked me, I'd be flattered and. I love free coffee. So, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> what's, awesome. what's to lose? No, and, and I feel it's, it's always, for me personally, whenever I can give back, it's, it's very fulfilling. So, so, for sure. All right. So, I, for me, I, I feel that's, because now I'm going ha- to ask you to kind of uh, share some advice with the listeners. But this one is, I think, very, uh, a very important one that you've already given. Uh, you know, if if you need, you feel that you need a mentor, that you you'd like to have a mentor, you know, find them, find the mentor, and approach them for sure. Very good. So now we're reaching the end, and uh, I'm going to ask my my final question, which is a, a little bit of a role play, but you know, but not really to share. So to ask you to share a little bit uh, of a last of the last few words with with the listeners, and what I'm ask what I'm going to ask you is to imagine that you you know you're in front of an audience full of young Danas <laughs> at the time, young families or young graduates, people just like you. Um, when you finish your studies, they're struggling, they have fears, worries, doubts, and um, you know they want to find their place in the job market and they want to have a productive life and a fulfilling uh, professional life afterwards. But now they either they're finishing or they, they've just finished and they feel a bit lost. And what I'd like you to share is uh, what two or three basic strategies or principles could our listeners follow starting today to put in place a realistic and attainable transition project? Whew. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's a big question for your last question. Um, well, I think the the first and biggest thing would be um, to, to think big about what the possibilities are, you know? Um, well, and I, I think, you I know, like things like, big. like this project that you're working on, um, you know, things like this podcast, I think really help people to, to realize that there are a lot of opportunities, a lot of ways that you can go in addition to just, you know, um, you know, continuing on in academia, right? So, you know, don't be scared to kind of be a little bit audacious about what what kind of direction you might be able to go into. Um, and to really think about what what's going to work for you, what's going to resonate for you. Um, and then, you know, do the work of figuring out how you're going to spin yourself, how you're going to how you're going to develop that personal brand, how you're going to, you know, how you're going to spin it so that you are the right person to do that thing. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. It, it is so scary when you come to the end of grad school and you, you realize that like, it's, it's a different world outside and that maybe it's the work that you've been doing so far doesn't, necessarily translate into what you want to do mm-hmm. right but you know but as you say there's so many more um there's so many more connections there's so many more kind of skills that that you can apply definitely. than we give ourselves credit for sometimes definitely, you know definitely excellent well thanks a lot dana this has been a great little chat uh, i really had a a lot of fun. I think we had some i had some aha moments <laughs> myself me too oh my goodness and um, uh, Dana, if you want to share the, the Canadian Museum of Nature, uh, it's URL or, or a, a Twitter handle, now would be the right moment. So, you know, so people can, uh, can go see what you do. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, right now I'm, I'm working as the head of programs at the Canadian Museum of Nature, which is Canada's uh, National Museum of Natural History. Um, and uh, if you're interested in checking out anything about our our exhibits, our research, our collections, um, and of course all of our fun programs that my team runs, uh, you can check that out at uh, www.nature.ca uh, or find us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. 
That's a great URL. It really is. It's really good. <laughs> okay, then thanks a lot. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll talk again at another time. I had a really a, a lot of fun. And, uh, and I thank you for having, uh, having been on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much. It's, uh, it was a lot of fun. All right. See ya. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.